you ever found it hard to believe the story of Christmas? For most of you, you would think, no. <clears throat> I've always believed the story of Christmas. In fact, I was thinking about it uh, just this morning. Is I can't never, I can't ever remember not knowing about the story of Christmas. I can't ever remember a time when I, did, I, I can't remember when I first began hearing about the story of Christmas. I've, I've always believed the story of Christmas. I've never doubted the story of Christmas. But that's not true for everybody. Maybe some of you here today, quietly, have your doubts. Some of you in the Life Center, you wonder if all that could be true. Or some of you watching online, you've quietly had those inner struggles, those inner doubts. Wondering if it, this is all just a story that somebody made up. I mean, after all, the story is over 2,000 years old. That's, that's an old story, and you, things could get changed, handed down from generation to generation. I mean, it's a 2,000-year-old story. In addition to that, think about some of the, the key players in the story. There's angels, and there's shepherds, and there's wise men, and these sound more like people in a storybook, character book, than real people. And then there's Mary and Joseph, the two main characters of the story, who are young teenagers in a little-known town called Nazareth. And then in addition to all of that, there is that part about a virgin birth and God becoming a baby. And many people have legitimately wondered over the years, and you may be one of them, Many people have legitimately wondered over the years, is this story true? I mean, could it really be true that there is a God in heaven who stepped out of heaven and came into the womb of Mary and was born with human flesh? Is this story really true? Well, if you struggle to believe all of that and just don't see how it could really be possible... I just want you to understand, you're not the first one to have your doubts. The very first people that I know of that struggled to believe what we call the Christmas story were the two main characters of that story, Mary and Joseph. In fact, I would suggest to you, I think I could make a case that Mary and Joseph struggled a lot more than you and I ever could. And here's why I would say that. Here's why I think it was a greater struggle for Mary and Joseph than it could ever be for any of you here in the Life Center or watching online. You may have your doubts, you may have your struggles, but those pale in comparison to the struggles that Mary and Joseph faced regarding that first Christmas. Let me explain why I think they had a greater struggle. First of all, our biggest struggle is to believe their biggest struggle was to obey. Think about the difference between simply believing the story and obeying and being part of the story. Another reason, we may struggle to understand, trying to understand how it all happened, how it could all be possible. We may struggle to understand. Mary and Joseph had to struggle with the unknown. You know the story. They didn't know the story. We've read the story. They had not read the story before. We struggle perhaps to understand they had to struggle with the unknown. 
And then, of course, the biggest difference between them and us is that we read about it. They lived it. If you doubt the Christmas story, if you wonder if it's true, if you struggle to believe how all of this could happen, you're not the first. You are not the first. One of the things that I love about Mount, uh, Christmas at Mount Airy that we've just recently completed, and thank you all for doing that. It was an incredible time. Uh, I think the first night, just the Mount Airy night, we had about 250 of our people there. The, then the first night public, we had over 400 and then it rained the next night, and then the final night we had over 500, so just an incredible beginning. And one of the things that I really love about Christmas at Mount Airy was the part of the live nativity where an older Mary looks back at the birth of Jesus and explains what it was like to give birth as a teenager to the Son of God. That was such a unique perspective for me, just to stand there and looking at the nativity and hearing an older Mary explain what it was like, looking back now and give, explaining what it was like to give birth to the Son of God. Let me ask you a question. When, when you were growing up, did your mom ever tell you stories about how you were born or when you were born, what it was like? I, I remember those kind of stories, or maybe you told your kids those kind of stories. I know we've told our kids those kind of stories about what it was like the, the day that they were born, you know. You, you know, you tell them all kinds of stories about every detail about what happened that day or that night whenever it occurred. You know, ladies, how you talk to them about how you were in labor for 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> well, <laughs> I got the story confused there just a minute. I remember Lisa telling our kids, you know, the story of how, I don't remember which kid it was, they all kind of were blurring my mind, but telling the story of, uh, it was probably Kelly, our first one, trying to, trying to get the baby to come out because she was overdue and, and we went to the mall there in Lenore, North Carolina and walked and walked and walked and walked and walked because somebody told us if you walk a lot, uh, that, that'll make it come on and so we did that. I, I remember sitting outside the hospital at Caldwell Memorial Hospital trying to convince Lisa she's in labor, and she's trying to convince me we need to go home. I remember, I remember the doctor just, one, and one of them, it might have been Jonathan, the last one, I remember the doctor coming in just in time to put his hands through the gown and catch the baby. Like, man, I, I thought I was going to have to do this. I'm glad he stepped in. I remember that time when Lisa was in labor, and, you know, she was grabbing the bars and everything, and she looked over, and, and I, I was over in the other side of the room digging through my snack bag opening a Pepsi. <laughs> I mean, well, there's all kinds of stories like that that you tell your family, you know. You tell your kids, hey, this is what it was like when you were born. This is what your dad did. This is what I did. This is where we were. If you've had a baby, you've got a story. You and I could go back and talk to Mary and say, Mary... Tell us your story. Tell us your baby story. You'd probably say, well, Matthew actually wrote it down. If you want to open God's word, we can see Mary's story and Joseph's as well. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verse, verses 18 and 19. It says, this is, how, 
This is how the birth of Jesus came, Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. These two verses emphasize the challenge that both Mary and Joseph faced that first Christmas. But for them, it wasn't just a challenge to believe what God was saying. For them, it was a challenge also to obey what God was saying. They both were going to hear some incredible news. They both were going to hear some unbelievable news. And they each had to choose to believe and to obey. And that decision, that decision, which was not an easy decision, that decision to believe and to obey changed their lives forever. And so if we could go back in time and say, Mary, tell us your story. Tell us what it was like. I think the one thing that Mary would focus on as she told her story, the the one challenge she would explain to us was this one. Mary faced the challenge of accepting a miraculous conception. Read verse 18 again. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, in that day, they, they had this, this betrothal, if you will, this, this time where it was, it was deeper than our engagement. In our engagement today's time, it, it, you can get engaged and unengaged just by saying, I, I do want to be married to you or I don't want to be married to you. But in that day and time, once you were betrothed to somebody, uh, you were considered to be their husband or their wife. You just hadn't made it formal yet. You, you hadn't come together in, in a uh, physical union yet. But, but th- during this engagement period, it was a done deal. You were considered to be the future husband or wife of that individual. And so Mary, look what it says again. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you like to check cross-references or write cross-references in your Bible, I want you to write one in the column of your Bible right there beside that verse. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Before we even read there, or turn there and read it, I just want to make reference to verse 18 one more time. Would you look at verse 18... I don't want this to be something that you've just read a hundred times before and it doesn't sink in. I want to try to emphasize to you the gravity of what the challenge that Mary faced. It says, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they had any type of physical relationship, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, Let's run over to Luke chapter 1. Put your finger in Matthew. We're going to come back to that. Luke chapter 1. Luke really emphasizes this very fact. Found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Luke is more specific in his gospel account. 
In Luke chapter 1, in verse 26, here's what we read. In the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, it's tied to the previous story. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Two times Luke already emphasizes in that verse that Mary was a virgin. A virgin pledged to be married to Joseph. When I read that verse, it reminds me of a true story of this lady I read about recently. She bought a children's Bible for her niece. Her niece was seven years old. And she bought this children's Bible for her seven-year-old niece who, who was born and raised in Virginia. And on Christmas, when the niece opened the children's Bible, they wanted her to read something from it. And so this seven-year-old little girl, born and raised in Virginia, she, she opened the Bible, she found the Christmas story, and she read these words. God sent the angel Gabriel to a Virginian named Mary. Well, that's easier to believe, isn't it? It's easier to believe that he, she could be a Virginian than what Luke says. I just want to take a little time here because over 2,000 years ago, on the night the world has come to call Christmas, there was a Jewish little girl, young girl who went through the experience that countless mothers before and after her have gone through, the experience that many of you have gone through, the experience of giving birth to a child. That's what Mary went through. But you need to understand something. It was like no other birth in all of history. And there's two reasons for that. One is because there was no human father. Luke tells us this. He, he emphasizes this in verse 20. 6, 27, and 34, look what he says. In the sixth month, Luke, or, or God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 34, skip down. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? There is no human father involved in this situation. And the challenge that Mary faced... As you struggle with, is this story true? The challenge that Mary faced was the challenge of believing that it could be true. The challenge of believing that she could have a child without that child having a human father. But not only was it the, just the challenge of believing that she could have a child without a human father, this was a different type of birth for another reason, because this was no ordinary child. Look in Luke chapter 1, continue as we read uh, verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's how you're going to have a child without a human father. But notice the rest of the verse, it talks about this child. So the Holy One to be born will be called, will be called the what, church? This is not going to be the son of Joseph. It's going to be the son of God. There are no sexual overtones there. This, this is simply Luke explaining that the Holy Spirit is going to place within Mary's womb the life 
of a child without the, the need of a human father. And, and it says in this verse, in verse 35, that this is no ordinary child because it is referred to as the Holy One. The Holy One. The One without sin. And then it described as the Son of God. You see, the challenge that Mary faced was believing that God could do the impossible. That God could, watch this, that God could create new life in her womb. The challenge that Mary faced was, the, was believing that God himself was going to take up residence in her body in the form of a baby. I mean, how do you believe that? How do you ever come to accept that as being true? Yet that's exactly what Mary did. Look what it says in verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. But now everybody look up here and tell you something. Over in the Life Center, make sure you hear this. You and I face a similar challenge. You and I face a similar challenge. I'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about. W would you take the time, please, to walk with me to another passage in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look at verse 12 and 13. Please, make sure you follow along with this. If you don't have the, your Bible with you, at least listen carefully and closely to what these verses say. John chapter 1 talks about the similar challenge that you and I face. It says, yet to all who received him, him being Jesus, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what, church? Children of God. And then watch this, watch verse 13. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. You might want to underline that, but born of God. You see... Every time somebody places their faith in Christ, there is a new birth that is very, very similar to the virgin birth. The virgin birth was an act of God. And the new birth is also an act of God. The virgin birth was something only God could bring about. And the new birth is something only God can bring about. The virgin birth was not by human activity. Nor is the new birth by human activity. As it says so clearly in verse 13, children born not of natural descent, that is by the natural means, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Here's what I want you to focus on today. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God was taking the initiative to help you deal with your sin. I want you to think of the implications of that for a moment. I want, I want to help you understand the ramifications of Jesus being born of a virgin in Bethlehem and the truth of that story. I want you to think of the implications for a moment. 
God was simply taking the initiative to help you and I deal with our sin. You see, if you've convinced yourself that your sin is unforgivable, unforgivable, you need to look again at the Scripture and especially Bethlehem because God took the initiative to help you deal with your sin. If you feel like you are unloved or maybe even unlovable, then you need to look again at Scripture and at Bethlehem because God loved you so much that God took the initiative to help you deal with your sin. If you feel like this is something that you might want to do someday, but just right, not right now, then you need to look again at Scripture and at Bethlehem because God took the initiative to help you deal with your sin. Think about Christmas this way. God sent someone who can rescue you from the sin you can't rescue yourself from. That's how important Christmas is. That's how important this story is. That's how important you are to the author of this story. I know you've seen it every year, perhaps. We're going to watch it in the Shorter Household, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. One of my favorites. After Charlie Brown's frustrating attempt to find the real meaning of Christmas, he cries out, is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And of course, the spotlight hits Linus as he walks across the stage, dragging his blanket. And he proceeds to quote from the Bible's account of the first Christmas, and he stands on the stage and he says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. <clears throat> And I really like the line that says, I bring good news of great joy for all people. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not just good news for certain people. It's not just good news for the good people. It's not just good news for people who are religious. It's not just good news for people who belong to certain churches or denominations. It's not just good news for people who live in certain places. It's not just good news for people who have a, a certain background. I want to tell you something. It's not good news for some people. It is good news for all people. Ron Deal said, there are no second class citizens in God's kingdom. Then he said, come to think of it, there's no first class citizens either. We're all sinners who need a savior. Here's what Mary faced. As you're trying to struggle to, to decide if you believe the Christmas story and all those kind of things, 2,000 years old, and here's the struggle Mary faced. Mary faced the struggle or the challenge of believing in a miraculous conception. But then if you go back to where we started in Matthew chapter 1, we also read about Joseph's challenge. And look, remember now, just kind of break down the text for you. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Look at the text again. Mary faced the challenge of believing what the angel told her about a miraculous conception. Here's what Joseph, the challenge Joseph faced. Joseph faced the challenge to believe Mary. Put that in your mind now. Verse 18, Mary faced the challenge to believe what the angel told her. Verse 19, Joseph faced the challenge to believe what Mary told him. 
Look what it says in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph has already considered her husband because of that betrothal period. And when Mary came to him and said, Joseph, we need to talk. And she tried to explain what had happened. What the angel said. Joseph's not buying it. Nor would you. Joseph knows one thing for sure. It's not his baby. And the second thing he knows is this. He's not going to marry her now. But he's a righteous man, the Bible says. And in that day, if, if you're, the wife was betrothed to you and she committed sexual sin, you had the opportunity, according to the, the law, to have her stoned to death. That's why it said that Joseph was a righteous man and decided just to kind of put her away privately. In other words, he decided, because he did not believe her, he decided he would sign the divorce papers and let her go on with her life. But he wanted nothing to do with her or her story. He was going to sign the papers, send her on. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because... What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Don't you know Mary loved it when Joseph came back with his head down and said, Honey, I'm sorry. Don't you know she loved it when she got to say, I told you. You wouldn't believe, but I told you. I don't want you to notice something here. Don't miss this. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will... What's that next word, church? He will save his people from their sin. You, you could translate that word rescue. The word save could be translated rescue, just like the word Savior can be translated rescuer. Here's something I want you to hear. Jesus didn't just come to forgive you of your sin. He came to free you from your sin. He didn't come just to be the Savior of the world. He came to be your Savior. Some people just don't realize how badly they need to be saved. As long as you think, you know, I'm not that bad of a person... I'm pretty good, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an okay guy, I'm okay gal, I'm not that bad. You're the person in most danger. I want you to hear that again, over the life center, I want you to hear this. As long as you think you're pretty good and you're not that bad and you don't have that many problems and you don't really need a Savior, you're the person most in danger. The person who realizes he needs a Savior is the one who is most open to receiving a Savior. But if you think you don't really need saving, then you're not open to what God wants to do for your life. It's kind of like what's been happening in my life lately. Uh, I think it was this past week, 
kind of lose track of time. This past week or week before last, uh, I'm in the process of getting some new glasses. I had mine forever, and, and I, I just need new glasses. And so I hate that process. I hate trying to find new glasses. And so anyway, I took my wife with me, and <laughs> the lady said to me, she said, we sat down, I promise you, this is what she said. We sat down with my wife, said, I'm here to pick out some new glasses. She looked at Lisa and looked at me, and she said, so you operate under the principle, happy wife, happy life. I said, yes, ma'am. Mama raised an ugly boy, but not a dumb one. So, really, I, I took Lisa because I, I hate trying to find glasses. I hate the way I look in glasses, and I'm, I'm never happy with any glasses. And Anyway, the whole story, long story short is this. Uh, the, she asked me the question. The question. The lady asked me the question. The question is this. Do you need single vision or progressive lenses? Then she looked at my paper that I handed her. I looked at Lisa. Because I knew what she was going to say. I said, I want, notice how I worded this, I want single lens. She looked at the paper and said, but the doctor said you need bifocals. And then she looked at Lisa, and Lisa said, that's right, he needs bifocals. Now listen to what I said. I said, I don't need bifocals. I take my glasses off when I need to read. I don't need them to read. I can read fine without glasses. I, I'm reading today. I don't need glasses to read. I just need glasses to see you people. I need glasses to drive. I don't need glasses to read. I don't need bifocals. So we had this debate there in the, in the eyeglass shop about, here's what the, doc, the doctor said you need it. Lisa says that I need it. She's giving me that look like, you know you need Guess who won? I did. I hadn't ordered them yet, but I'm, when I order them, it's going to be the single lens or whatever that's called. Single vision, I think it's called. Because here's what I'm convinced of. I don't need bifocals. I can get along fine without them. I just take my glasses off. Some people are like that with Jesus. They're unwilling to admit their need. And you know why? They figured out they can get along pretty good without him. I don't need Jesus. I'm doing pretty well. Life is good. I've got a wonderful family. I've got a nice home. I'm a moral person. My kids are healthy. I'm a happy man. I'm a happy woman. I don't need Jesus, I'm doing just fine. If you need him, that's okay. If you want to wear bifocals, I got no problem with that. If you need Jesus, I got no problem with that, some people would say. But I don't need him. I'm doing just fine without him. Pardon the pun, but that is a short-sighted way to live. You see, you're going to live 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years, at best 100 years on this earth but you're going to have trillions and trillions and trillions of years in eternity. And you may not think that you need Jesus now, but how about the day that you step into eternity? Could I just say it to you very plainly? If, if you didn't need a Savior, God would not have gone to all the trouble to send you one. 
You need Jesus. You just may not realize what you're missing in Him. I want you to, before I close, I want you to consider the emphasis not of His birth, but of His death. Because when you look at the story of Jesus, it's so interesting to me. We got four gospel stories. Now listen carefully. We got four gospel stories of Jesus Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew and Luke are the only ones that really tell us the Christmas story. Only two out of the four. Mark just starts when Jesus is an adult. John starts back in time, in the beginning, basically. And so Matthew and Luke, only two of the, only two of the four, tell us the Christmas story. But now go to the end of his life. When you look at the end of the life of Jesus, Matthew devotes three chapters to the last 24 hours of the Lord's life. Mark devotes three chapters to his last day. Luke devotes three chapters to his last hours, his last day. John devotes six chapters to the last 24 hours of his life. Why is it that there's so much emphasis on his death? Because Jesus was born to die as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. He didn't just come to forgive you of your sin. He came to free you from them. And when he was born in Bethlehem, watch this, look up here. When he was born in Bethlehem, he was taking that first step towards the cross. And the reason he was born of a virgin, born without a human father, the reason he is the son of God, that God in heaven was his father, is because God sent him on a rescue mission. That's why the angel said to, to get to Joseph, he will be the savior of the world. If there's anything in the Christmas story that screams at us, it ought to be this. It ought to be how badly God wants to help you. The thing that ought to scream out of the Christmas story is how badly God wants to help you out of your sin. How badly God wants to give you a new life. How badly God wants to forgive you of your sin and free you from them. But like Mary and like Joseph, the challenge you face is twofold. It is the challenge to believe and the challenge to obey. Bow your heads with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you listen to this word? I read it earlier. I want you to hear it one more time. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born, <clears throat> but born of God. 
The new birth that God offers you is much like the virgin birth that he offered Mary. It is the sheer act of God. Sheer act of God to bring about new life into your life. It's the challenge that Mary faced and Joseph faced. The challenge to believe. The challenge to obey. Would you say today, Lord Jesus, I do believe. I believe you were born of a virgin. I believe you lived a sinless life. I believe you died on the cross as a sacrifice for my sin. And today I obey you by inviting you to be my Lord and my Savior. Would today, for the first time in your life, would you be willing to step across that line of faith? Believe and obey. Over the Life Center, you can go to Jeff or someone there uh, down front to counsel with you, pray with you. Here in this sanctuary, I'm here to pray with you, to help you. Father, in the name of Jesus, for his sake and for our sake and for his glory alone, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.